Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. This is part two of Bear Brook, episode five, Bloodlines. If you missed the first part, go back to your feed and listen to it now. In January of 2017, something happened that, to be honest, I didn't think ever would. I was sitting in the New Hampshire Public Radio newsroom when I got an email from the New Hampshire Attorney General's office announcing that there would be a press conference the next day to discuss new information in the Bear Brook case. The email cryptically mentioned something about a missing persons case from New Hampshire, a murder case from California, and how they were both connected to the Bear Brook murders. At that point, in 2017, I'd been working on a story about the Bear Brook murders for about a year and a half. And all I knew was that one child was not related and the results of the isotope testing. The names Unsung Jun and Lisa didn't mean anything to me yet. As far as I could tell, the Bearbrook investigation didn't really seem to be going anywhere. I figured whether I finished my story in a month or in six months, the facts of the case would probably be the same. Then I got this email. The press conference was scheduled to take place in an auditorium at the New Hampshire DMV office. I think it was the largest space for a press conference they could come up with a sign that they were expecting a lot of reporters, and that we might be there for a while. In other words, that this was something big. The morning of the press conference, I arrived early and found maybe 40 people already there, reporters and cops milling about, talking in low voices. Close to a dozen TV cameras lined the back of the room, which felt a lot like a high school auditorium. I scanned the crowd for faces I knew. There was retired trooper John Cody, who found the second barrel, speaking with a handful of other police officers. And sitting about five rows back from the stage, I spotted Rhonda Randall and her brother, Scott Maxwell, the amateur investigators who had invested so much of themselves in the case. I'm mostly just curious. I, you know, I don't even know how to feel about it because I don't know what the information is. So, um, just... how, how, how early did you guys have to wake up? To well, actually, we came, I came down from Maine last night and slept in Manchester so I could be here good and early, but... You know, pretty hopeful that this is it, and yeah. <laughs> I'm nervous. I, I would imagine you guys must be nervous. Yeah. Uh, that's one word for it. Yeah. We're going to start our presentation by going through a PowerPoint this morning. From up on the auditorium stage, Jeff Strelzen, a prosecutor with the New Hampshire Attorney General's office, began the press conference. We're here today because in almost every homicide case that we work on, Probably the most important starting point that we have is the identity of the victim or the victims. 
It's that information that usually leads you to the killer. And in the case involving the four murder victims in Allenstown, we believe we've identified their killer. Over the next hour and a half, investigators laid out four stories. The Bearbrook murders in Allenstown, New Hampshire. The murder of Unsun Jun in Richmond, California. The abandonment of five-year-old Lisa in Scotts Valley, California. And the last story, the one that would tie them all together. The disappearance of a woman named Denise Bowden from Manchester, New Hampshire. Denise was Lisa's mother. She was last seen in 1981 with Curtis Kimball, though she knew him by a different name, Bob Evans. This man, Bob Evans, is not only connected to Denise Bowden's disappearance and the California murder of Yoon Sun Jun, he's also connected to the four Allenstown murder victims. Through DNA testing, we've determined that this man, this killer, Bob Evans, is the father of the middle child victim in Allenstown, this young girl. He is not the father or related to the other victims, but he is, in fact, the father of this middle child victim. The middle child, the three-year-old girl who wasn't related to the other victims, whose isotope results showed she had lived the majority of her life in a different climate. She was the daughter of Bob Evans, of Curtis Kimball, of the man police now believe killed all four of the Bearbrook victims. So how, after so many years, did police finally figure it all out? A few weeks after that big press conference, I met with Prosecutor Jeff Strelson and a New Hampshire State Police detective named Mike Kokoski to talk about how all the pieces finally came together. Strelson has been with the New Hampshire AG's office since 2001. He's handled some of the more high-profile murder cases in the state over the last 15 years. Remember the Danny Paquette case that pulled resources away from the Bearbrook investigation? Strelzen prosecuted the murderer after the case was reopened. Strelzen is slender, with dark, close-cropped hair and facial features that make it hard to guess his age. He told me he first learned about the Bearbrook murders as he was getting ready to leave the office one day to go mountain biking. A colleague asked him where he liked to ride. He said Bearbrook State Park. And she said, oh, be on the lookout for some barrels with bodies in them. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she told me the, she told me the story. I'd never heard it before, ever. And I've lived in New Hampshire my whole life. The breakthrough in the Bearbrook case ultimately came from forensics, from the genetic genealogy work that Barbara Ray Venter and Detective Peter Headley had done on the Lisa case. In 2016, when they found out that Lisa's mother, Denise Bowden, was from New Hampshire, they contacted New Hampshire State Police. New Hampshire detectives then interviewed some of Denise Bowden's relatives, the ones Barbara Ray Venter had found with genetic genealogy. One of them was Denise Bowden's grandfather. He said he had last seen Denise on Thanksgiving in 1981 in Manchester, New Hampshire. She was 23 at the time. She had a six-month-old daughter, that's Don slash Lisa, and an older boyfriend named Bob Evans. When detectives showed the grandfather a mugshot of Curtis Kimball, he recognized him as Bob Evans. No one in Denise Bowden's family ever saw her again after that Thanksgiving. 
But despite that, they never reported her missing to police. After the Lisa case was connected to New Hampshire in 2016, a missing persons case on Denise Bowden was finally opened more than 30 years after she disappeared. In January of 2017, police went to the house where Denise Bowden and Bob Evans had lived together in Manchester. With the murder of Eunsoon Jun in mind, they did a thorough search of the basement. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the web. Manchester police, along with state police, are searching a home on Hayward Street in relation to a woman who was last seen decades ago. It was just last month, December 28th, that investigators announced a new investigation in the search for Denise Bowden. She has not been seen or heard from since 1981, but no one ever filed a missing persons report, so the search for her is less than a month old. Police didn't find Denise Bowden's body in the basement. That might sound like good news, but really it was a disappointment. Because now it's unlikely police will ever find her remains. We're confident that he killed Denise at some point. The question is where. Did he arrive in California with her or not? But we know he arrived out there with Lisa. This probe into the Hayward Street house could last four days. A delay in the case against the man accused of stealing two vehicles. We may never know exactly what happened to Denise. But her story does tell us something about the Bear Brook case. It gives us an answer to a question that's been bothering me ever since I first learned about it. A question that's bothered a lot of people. How does an entire family go missing? What grandmother let this happen? Or what neighbor or what bus driver? Or, you know, I mean, where were all of you? you How is it four people could go missing? And we say, well, Denise Bowden did. I know for me, I think I've come to realize, yep, people, people can go missing and some, nobody says a word. And Denise Bowden is living proof that that can happen. People go missing and nobody says a word. It seems crazy until you think about it. A lot of people have a sibling or a cousin or a great uncle that hasn't been heard from in years. Families can become estranged. Friends can lose touch especially in a world before Facebook, before email, before cell phones. So if you, like me, couldn't help but ask, why didn't Denise Bowden's family report her missing? The answer is, it's complicated. She'd had a child. She wasn't married. Um, You know, I think her life had gone off in a little bit of a different direction than her parents expected. I think the fairest way to say it is that that there are different dynamics in families, and there was a dynamic with this family, and because of that dynamic, they never officially reported her as missing. I wasn't able to find any of Denise Bowden's family in New Hampshire who would talk to me. Maybe that had something to do with those family dynamics Prosecutor Jeff Strelzen told me about. Or maybe they just didn't want to talk. I don't know. But when I heard Strelzen obliquely describe Denise Bowden's strained relationship with her family... I couldn't help but think of Eunsoon Jun and her family. How Bob Evans, living then as Larry Vanner, managed to drive a wedge between Eunsoon and her cousin Elaine Ramos. How he wrote fake emails pretending to be Eunsoon. It's a tactic employed by many abusers to isolate and estrange the victim from the people who might help them. To cut them off from the outside world so the abuse seems more normal. Bob Evans excelled at this in part because he was somehow able to present dramatically different personas depending on what he wanted from a situation. 
To most people who met him, Evans was repellent. He looked dirty, even threatening. So they kept their distance. But to the people he targeted, who he wanted to bring in close, Evans had another side. A side with sparkling blue eyes that spun gripping tales about his life history. Who could summon tears about the woman he had murdered, whose child he kept captive. San Bernardino detective Peter Headley called Bob Evans an incredibly good con man. New Hampshire prosecutor Jeff Strelzen has another name for him, the chameleon. I said chameleon just in the, in the way he's able to adopt different the names and kind of conform himself around the people he's with to ingratiate himself around those people. I mean, this is a guy who was able to pick his targets uh, and, and get what he wanted. And that says that that is someone of terrifying intelligence. Maybe you looked into buying a home security system. There are so many choices. It can get expensive and complicated. Home installers and expensive contracts. You might even worry about going overboard, buying things you don't actually need, when all you wanted was to be able to travel and worry a little less about your house. Simply Safe keeps it simple. You can go online, take their quiz, and build the right solution for your home. From security cameras and motion sensors to safety devices like carbon monoxide detectors. They make it clear what you need and what you don't, and give you the choice. Or you can choose from one of their packages if you aren't sure where to start, or add to your system later. Again, they keep it simple. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by the U.S. News and World Report. The Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. They don't make you sign a contract, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given thousands of people peace of mind, and you can have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash bearbrook. That's simplysafe.com slash bearbrook. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is back. Get ready for Wayday. For three days only, May 4th through May 6th, you can get up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. Plus, everything ships free. Don't miss the sale to get up to 80% off everything home, even a garden gnome. Wayday starts May 4th. Head to Wayfair.com now to start filling your car. Wayfair, every style, every home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.
By this point, investigators had connected three of the four mysteries with each other. Eunsoon Jun's murder, the identity of Lisa, and the disappearance and presumed murder of Denise Bowden. But as far as investigators knew, the Bearbrook case was still completely unrelated to the other three. Then, a case manager at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Alexandria, Virginia, noticed something. Nekmek had been involved with the Lisa case, and as they learned that Lisa had been taken from New Hampshire, the case manager looked at a map. Manchester, where Denise Bowden was last seen, was only about 25 minutes from Bearbrook State Park, and another case that Nekmek had worked on. The case manager checked the dates again. Denise went missing in 1981. The first barrel was discovered in 1985. At first, they thought Denise Bowden might be the adult victim from the first barrel. But after that test came back negative, they ran another test using the DNA of Bob Evans. This is when everything finally came together. When they figured out that the middle child victim was Bob Evans' daughter and eventually concluded that Bob Evans had been behind the Bearbrook murders. By the time this DNA test came back, Bob Evans had been dead for seven years, so investigators will never be able to question him about the Bearbrook case. But the evidence connecting him to the Bearbrook murders goes beyond his relationship to one of the victims. Bob Evans arrived in New Hampshire in the late 70s. He got a job as an electrician, helping to shut down one of the old mill buildings in downtown Manchester, removing electrical equipment and cleaning out old debris. He worked on that job with a man named Ed Gallagher. Remember him? He's the owner of the property where the Bearbrook Camp Store used to be in Allenstown, the property where the barrels were found. So right over there, this dip is where the foundation of the store was. and where. Investigators learned that Gallagher had allowed for some of the waste from the mill, including old barrels, to be dumped on his property in Allenstown. Barrels were brought from Wombeck to the property, um, and we think that's likely... Gallagher also hired Bob Evans to do some electrical work at the Bearbrook store. So there's a direct link between Bob Evans and the site where the bodies were dumped. He knew that area. He knew Allenstown. That must have been familiar with the area. That must have been, had been there before. lived in the park at one time. Then there's the fact that the cause of death in the Bearbrook murders was the same as in Unsun's. A blunt force trauma to the head. And perhaps the most chilling detail linking Bob Evans to the crime scene is that the plastic bags the victims were wrapped in were tied up with electrical wire. This was the story laid out at that press conference in 2017. That finally... After all these years, we had learned who was behind the Bearbrook murders, that he was a chameleon, a serial killer, likely responsible for at least six murders, Unsun Jun, Denise Bowden, and the four victims found inside the barrels. Thank you all for coming today. Again, there are written materials out back and a disc, uh, and if you have questions, you have my contact information. It was a huge break in the case, but it wasn't everything. Rhonda Randall, the amateur investigator who'd been on the case for years, remembers how she felt that day. You know, we went to that press conference, and even though it was tremendously exciting to hear the backstory and get an ID, I, I have to tell you, I walked out of that press conference kind of feeling kicked in the stomach that we still didn't know who they were. Even though it was fascinating about Lisa um, and to know his other his other life, but but to still not know who they were and know so much was difficult. 
After everything, decades of work by half a dozen law enforcement agencies, cutting-edge isotope testing, and a revolutionary new genetic genealogy technique, the only new information we have about the Bear Brook victims is that one of them was the daughter of a serial killer. We still don't know who they are. We have some flowers here for each of the victims. Um, we'll start with the ones that have... Rhonda isn't alone in trying to keep the focus on the victims. In November of 2017, several months after that press conference and on the 32nd anniversary of the discovery of the first barrel, Rhonda and about a dozen others held a vigil at the cemetery in Allenstown where the first two victims were once buried. Their bodies were still being held by authorities, so we were standing over an empty grave. It was on a night that a cold front swept in. It was barely 20 degrees, colder when the wind blew. We didn't have anything big or fancy planned for tonight. We just really wanted to be here to honor their memory, to think about them, to... A few lights were aimed at the headstone, and several people in the group held candles. But otherwise, it was pitch black that night. It was hard to make out the faces of the people gathered in a half circle around the gravesite. Rhonda said a few words, thanking people for coming out. She played a Billy Joel song on a small boombox that she said always reminded her of the young girl victims. There was really no agenda for this meeting. It was a little awkward. There were times when no one knew quite what to say. But it was earnest. During one moment of silence, a voice from somewhere in the group asked if it was okay to pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to please, please shed some light on this story. These girls deserve to have their identities known. There are people out there, there has to be somebody out there that loved them. Somebody out there that wonders, whatever happened to my girls? Please, Father in heaven, you are the one who can put the power to... Fifteen minutes in, we were all shivering from the cold, and the group decided it was time to go. As the gathering broke up, I turned to the man who'd been standing next to me in the half circle. Paul Chevrat. You live in Allenstown? I did. You did. I lived um, in the late 70s. I lived about 300 yards from where the first barrel was found. In Bearbrook Gardens? Yes. And then uh, in 2000, when the second one was found, I lived about a quarter of a mile up the road in a farmhouse. what that must have felt like to be so close. Uh, yeah, because we all played, you know, as, as young, early teenagers, we all played in the woods there, you know, and never saw anything, you know, and to know that they were there, you know, yeah, it was kind of just unsettling. Why, why is it... Um, no, you can have it back. Why is it important enough um, for you to come back here and get this vision? Um, I have four daughters, and three stepdaughters, and I couldn't imagine a day without any of them. And here we have this woman and these three children, and nobody knows who they are. You know, and, and it just, it's just, uh, like I said, unsettling. You know, it's a small town. Back in the day, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew what everybody was doing. When this happened, you know, it was, it was a shock. Everybody knew everybody in Allenstown. It made me think of all the theories people had about the case. How those theories either seemed to hinge on the idea that the crime was so heinous it couldn't possibly have been someone from Allenstown. Or that because of where the barrels were dumped, it had to be someone local. In the end, it was kind of both. 
Bob Evans only arrived in New Hampshire in the late 70s, as far as investigators can tell. And in so many ways, he was an outsider, using a fake name, a fake history, and disappearing a few years after he arrived. But on the other hand, he knew people in Allenstown. He worked at the convenience store a short walk from where the barrels were found. Remember when Ann Morgan, who lived in the trailer park, talked about two worlds? You know, there was this evil world going on that we had no idea about, and there was this good, wholesome The one before and the one after the first barrel was found? Bob Evans lived in both. As it turns out, he lived in a lot of other worlds, too. In places like Virginia, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, Oregon, and more. As investigators tried to piece together a timeline of Evans' life, they began to suspect that there could be even more beginnings to this story. More murders that bore the fingerprints of a chameleon. To help solve them and to learn who Bob Evans really was, authorities turned to genealogist Barbara Ray Venter. When she identified Lisa, she had accomplished what seemed impossible. Now police wanted her to do it again. And within a matter of months, she did. And in doing so, she brought us as close as we've ever been to the Bearbrook victims, to meeting one of their living relatives. They weren't only telling you about your father, but also that you had this half-sister who was one of the victims. And I just wonder how that hit you. Uh, I don't know what her name is. Sorry, this upsets me. That's all right. That's all right. You know, take your time. Uh, based on the uh, on the artist rendering, she looks a lot like my little girl when she was that age. The chameleon's true identity is revealed. Next time on Bear Brook. Bear Brook is reported and produced by me, Jason Moon. Taylor Quimby is senior producer. Editing help from Corey Princell, Todd Bookman, Lauren Chuljan, Sam Evans-Brown, Brita Green, and Annie Ropik. The executive producer is Erica Janik. Dan Barrick is NHPR's news director. Director of content is Maureen McMurray. NHPR's digital director is Rebecca Lavoie. Photography and video by Ali Gutierrez. Graphics and interactives by Sarah Plord. Original music for this show was composed by me, Jason Moon, and Taylor Quimby. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions, Lee Rosevere, Daniel Birch, Joe Andrioli, and I Am This Big Black Cloud. Bearbrook is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is back. Get ready for Wayday. For three days only, May 4th through May 6th, you can get up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. Plus, everything ships free. Don't miss the sale to get up to 80% off everything home, even a garden gnome. Wayday starts May 4th. Head to Wayfair.com now to start filling your cart. Wayfair, every style, every home. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 